0: revolutionary.org hardcore coming your way Steve Schmee in joining me from across the pond your favorite guy out there the mobster how's it going man
1: good the guy's been kind famous it's lovely
0: <laughs> you are you're the big you're the big big guy across the pond for sure and you're getting famous across the pond too so today we're gonna talk about one of mobster's cousins one of his countrymen Bertel yeah. Fox. And Bertle Fox was a fascinating guy. He was a lot of things. He was an incredible bodybuilder. And believe it or not, he's also a murderer. And we'll we'll get to that later on the show. And Mobster has a lot to talk about on that. And Mobster's theory as to what went wrong with Bertle Fox. So yeah. one of the most impressive British bodybuilders of the 70s and 80s, born in 1951, spent 25 years as a pro bodybuilder he his nickname was the was brutal Bertle. yep and he had an absolutely intimidating physique he was only five foot eight so he was a shorter guy my you know shorter closer Mm. to my height but he was 245 pounds and he had 22 inch arms. So I don't care if you're six foot five or whatever. This guy was an absolute machine if you if ran into this guy. So, and uh, yeah, mobster. I know you want to jump in on this
1: one. So, what, we we would, we would say he was thick as a brick. He, guys, I, I double checked his physique this morning part of the pre-show research. Great cast for a black man. Great fire separation. And and just, and in, uh, it's, it's hard to put into words, but just sort of a massive brick-shaped lump of meat. Physically, very, very impressive. And I know we can get into which bodybuilders were better for different decades and all the rest of it, but go back, look at the photograph and tell me he's not physically impressive, Steve. He, he, he's, he's it, I mean, we're talking about 40 odd years ago, which you know, <laughs> makes me feel old as fuck. But 40 odd years ago, thick as a brick and i'll get into as we talked about already the psychology but the the way that the crowd responded to him when he came out on stage was an indication of what we're talking about which we'll get into in a second. okay so
0: fox was born on the island of st kitts and st kitts is a british caribbean island it's near the virgin islands and you've got of course the american virgin islands the british virgin islands You got the and you know and uh, those those islands that basically run from past where Puerto Rico is, the southeast of Puerto Rico, where Virgin Islands are. St. Kitts is is around there, and then the islands continue going down. They dot down till you get to Venezuela. It's definitely one of the more beautiful parts of you know the Atlantic. part of the world. Of course, if you go into the Pacific part of the world, you have beautiful beautiful islands in the South Pacific. And then yeah. and on the Atlantic side you have islands like this that are absolutely gorgeous and a lot of people from Britain um have moved there, Portugal, Lebanon, Pakistan, yeah. Africa, people have gone there to seek um opportunities. But also to retire also just because they want to live on a gorgeous island. It's not a cheap island to live on St Kitts uh, is actually one of the more expensive ones to live on because they really have to have everything imported so that's one of the reasons so if you want to live there. It's going to be an expensive island uh, versus what the the type of money that the people actually uh, make on the island. So. Soon after his birth, his family moved to England. And as a child, he got involved in sports. And he was very good at them. But his true passion was bodybuilding. And he was excellent at it as a teenager. Really gifted, gifted athlete. His father died. He was just 14. So he used that as motivation to hit the weight room. 18 years old, he was already kicking ass. He won the 1969 Junior Mr. Britain and then two years he had two straight wins in 1971 by winning junior mr europe then he would win mr universe and mr world a few years later so the guy from a young age was you know doing a lot of things that a lot of people have not done uh, so young so to to have that kind of you know that those kind of you know, really wins under your belt at such um, an age is really incredible. He was really talented.
1: I'm going to jump in here very quickly, Steve. And something that some of you guys, it's one of those things when you go to a certain gyms and someone else, an older hand, so to speak, sees that you've got potential and comes over and offers their assistance. And there's a lot of, in the modern age with the internet and whatever else, and even on the forums, it can sometimes be difficult to feel that this is appropriate uh, and whatever. But here's the thing, Bertle Fox, fantastic genetic talent. And he was extremely lucky, Steve. I'm saying 15, 16. So before, before we started competing, um, I think the fella that he ran into was another uh, black bodybuilder called Howard Greaves. I'm gonna, I might have got the first name wrong, but I think Greaves is definitely right on the surname. And essentially he recognized that Bertle had amazing genetics and took him under his wing, and showed him the ropes. If you might remember, Steve, that we've covered in previous podcasts, where we talked about some of the people that were mentored by a great uh, uh, Afro-American bodybuilder called John Brown. Uh, And Sean Ray, for example, is included in that particular list. This is that Beryl Fox had Howard Greaves and Howard showed him how to train, how to diet, how to get into condition, how to get into shape, and so on and so forth. So he's extremely lucky. But that, of course, as we've just said, combined with his great genetics, is the reason why he was winning, as you say already, the 1969 Junior Mr. Britain, And these would be, I'm going to say, never competitions before uh, the EFBB didn't even exist then and before he started competing with the IFBB. But 18 years of age, winning the Junior Mr. Britain because he had guidance right from the beginning of his training and someone who had a great physique, knew the game inside out and was able to show him. How, how this stuff got. And of course, Steve, you and I, we cover these kind of things on the forum when we talk about us, ourselves, giving out advice. So sometimes, guys, it's worth lifting because we know what we're talking about. you have been around and we can help you, like Howard was helping Beltwell back in the day. Back to you, Steve.
0: So, Joe Weeder had been spending a lot of time recruiting the best British and European bodybuilders and convincing yeah. them to move to the USA. He was kind of the ambassador to bodybuilding to, to get them over. And Fox would indeed move to California and shoot for some IFBB competitions. In 1981, he got a very strong fifth, the Grand Prix Belgium. And he was 30 years old at that time in 1981. The next year, he was runner-up at the Knight of Champions and eighth at the Mr. Olympia. In 83, he would get second place at the Swiss Grand Prix and fifth at Mr. Olympia. He would get seventh at the 1986 Mr. Olympia and finish in the top 12 over the next two years. So some of his other highlights that, you know, we want to go over here. So Arnold Classic in 1989, he got sixth place. Grand Prix Melbourne, sixth place. World Pro Championships, fifth place. And then in 1992, he placed 16 at the Arnold Classic and then the principal pittsburgh pro invitational got ninth in in 1994 was his last major competition and that was the ironman pro where he got 13th place so he had a career spanning from 1969 when he was just a teenager all the way to the early 90s to mid 90s to 94 so he had quite a career and he did very well his you know his best Career was I'd have, have to say 1976 and 1977, where he was winning Mister Britain, getting second at Mister Universe, winning Mister World, and then getting first at Mister Universe the next day. So, uh, the next the next year, so 78 and 79 also first at the Universe Pro. So, yeah, he had heck of a career, and you know he he definitely went up against some of the best of that era.
1: I'm going to jump in here with two things here, Steve. One, which, is gonna, which we're going to talk about momentarily, which is to do with the psyche of being an absolutely amazing bodybuilder. And it's a combination of self-belief, uh, the way that you're treated on stage versus off stage, which specifically, as we, we'll, we'll touch on in, in a minute or two, people, when we talk about uh, the very famous or infamous murder case and, and the outcome. But uh, let's touch first very quickly, Steve, on training. Um, during this time that Steve was talking about, uh, and, and essentially uh, he was one of the power builders when power builders didn't exist. I mean, prior to Bertle Fox coming along, you had guys like Reg Park doing five hundred pound bench presses and so on. But there was—I'm—I'm I'm old enough to remember Bertle Fox on the first time around because he would be on the front cover of UK bodybuilding magazines like Bodybuilding Monthly back in 1980 and doing a whole stack on a pull down machine with tricep press downs and. Obviously, for pre-show research, we look at some of the numbers. And in my mind, for example, try this, uh, Steve, for size. 195-pound dumbbell bench press. 535 pounds, I think it was his top weight, four reps. There's a video out, and you could find samples of this on uh, YouTube. Uh, 400 pounds and change, uh, T-bar rows, and other numbers like this. And, and this, we're talking about specifically five sets of eight. For pretty much all these exercises, I think uh, 250 pound behind a neck press, five sets of eight. So uh, moderate volume, uh, moderately low weight, uh, sorry, repetitions, but big fucking weight. Some of the numbers I was actually amused by because I know that some of the numbers come from UK workouts. And even when he went to the States, he had the same problem. And the problem was that most places he went to didn't have the dumbbells that went big enough. him to do more weights so for example we've got him doing 400 pounds here by rows, but only 150 pounds on the dumbbell row and that's because most places that was the biggest dumbbell they had so berto fox was stupidly strong for his time and uh, chris lund was taking loads of the pictures of all the pros at that particular time so i become famous and and joined the weeder organization but berto was one of those guys that you knew you were going to get good photographs of because it wasn't fake weights, it were real weights, the form arguably would be loose. And I'm gonna say that as a guy that uses loose form on, for example, my, my crazy uh, heavy uh, hammer, curl, hammer dumbbell cords and Bertel was in, of that ilk. So we're not talking about super tight, focusing on the muscle form here, but the weights were so damn heavy, a la perhaps uh, Ronnie Coleman, um, that the, he, he was able to respond and had that kind of mutant thing where he throws the weights around and still looks fucking amazing. So, yeah, so the training then, the, I mean, talking about, again, 1980s, 1990s diet, so, you know, lots of eggs, lots of steak. Not We're not talking about carb manipulation. You're not talking about keto diets here, guys. This was just, I mean, British food uh, of that time would not have been great the american diet when he went to the states so there were places in the, in the u.s that was just starting to serve bodybuilders some of the places around gold's gym in california so we're not talking about what meal prep as we'd understand it now very simple probably just chicken breast and rice very very simple diets no access to the protein powders that we have today no access to the supplements that we have today uh and some of the i mean literally just starting to come onto the scene as he was leaving Steve. So his re- ability to respond to this loose style of training and what we would now see as you know not I wouldn't say a poor diet, but just not ideal and just still have the physique and just still be moving some of those numbers. He, he would probably I would probably put him in the top five, top six in terms of strength of bodybuilders, certainly for his time. And even now he'd be at an elite strength uh, bodybuilder, top, top three, top 4% of any gym in the country right now if he was still around lifting at that kind of level. I mean, a hundred, just 195-pound dumbbells probably had those made up. And I think Joe Gold, for example, because there's photographs and videos, you can see Joe Gold at Welch Gym going through uh, stuff with him. Joe was the kind of person at that time that was making weights up for athletes. For example, he did the same thing with Lee Priest. So, the, the only reason he probably was able to access a pair of 195 pounds doubles is because someone made them for him. And he would be one of the two, maybe three people in the gym that would be able to do something with him. Back to you, Steve.
0: Yeah. And um, I'm not quite sure if he's still working out to this day. He, right now, he would be in prison. Yep. But he'd be in, in his 70s. So, uh, But he is still alive as far as yes. I, we look. Maybe by the time you guys listen to this, he would have passed away. But So let's go over what happened, and we'll talk about a steroid cycle at the end. Yeah. So September 30, 1997, he had an altercation with his ex-girlfriend, who was a model, and her mother at the dress shop in downtown St. Kitts. Bazateer, I believe it's called Bazateur, Bazateer, Bazetteer, St. Kitts, apologize for mispronouncing it. Yeah. While struggling with his gun, he ended up shooting both of them near the door as he was getting <laughs> kicked out. He claimed to the court that it was self defense. But the problem was there was a witness, and one of the employees there was the witness and said that Fox was not defending himself. So I read a little bit about this story, and it's funny because I was listening. I actually watched a show yesterday, and it happened. In Tennessee where a guy killed his wife he shot his wife three times and the difference was there was actually video of it happening and she was actually hitting him and she had a bat she was threatening him with a bat so he took a gun and he shot her right and it's on video of her hitting him with the bat and hitting him on his head beating up on the guy he was getting you know he was being abused uh, physically yeah. in the relationship because yeah. she was on you know she had a drug issue she was bipolar and even with that video evidence he still got charged with murder and he ended up getting getting down pled down to manslaughter and he got 15 years but with the possibility of parole after three years it's a famous story that happened, you know, in the United States and Tennessee. And without that video, he would have gotten life in oh, prison. Life. Yeah. But yeah. because of that video, even with that video, he still pled down because he was worried if it had gone to trial, he would have got 40 years. So what does that tell you? This is a good lesson for everybody. If you're ever in that situation where you have to defend yourself, it's best to not pull out a gun yeah and it's not a good idea to carry around a gun if you have rage issues and you yourself aren't mentally stable enough to just not withhold yourself from actually killing someone because the argument that the the prosecution was going to make in that situation was you're 280 pounds Whatever this guy, this guy was six foot something to it, and she was like 150 pounds. You couldn't physically keep her off of you. You couldn't do something physically to keep her off of you. Definitely. So you had to bring out a gun. And in Berto's case, why didn't he, he's this guy can bench 500 pounds for reps. Why didn't he physically keep these ladies off of him or just walk away from the situation? What are they going to do? Chase him out of the shop and beat him up in the parking lot? No. So, I mean- really, this is a lesson, like, don't make a bad decision and ruin your life for the rest of your life. Because even with that guy, the Tennessee guy, he had to leave behind, you know, a child who he loved dearly. And he had to look his other child who was older, who was a stepchild in his eye and say, yeah, I killed your mother, you know, and the child has to Lose his mom just because the guy couldn't maybe call the police or physically keep her off of him. He just couldn't take the abuse anymore. So he just killed him. So it doesn't hold up to use the self defense case in this situation. It's not going to hold up. And a lot of us, you know, mobster, for example, if mobster was in that situation, it's not going to work for him. He's 300 some pounds and he's one of the strongest yeah. dudes, you know, you'll ever meet. So how is yeah, he going to yeah. say, oh, it's self-defense going up against a 150-pound woman? This doesn't make sense. In his case, in Berto's case, this is a model. So how much could she have weighed? You know, Even if she That's- was six foot tall, what was she, 130, 140 at the most? I mean, models don't weigh very much. So it just didn't hold any water. And he just made a bad decision, no matter how angry he was. And I think Mobster, um, I think I wrote, read read about it, it had, had something to do with money. It was a money argument maybe you can confirm that
1: um i'm gonna i i, I seem to be there's as a bunch of issues there's a bunch of issues that steve and i talked about in the pre-show and uh, uh, let's start at the beginning steve uh, Bertle fox by rumored reputation and i think rick wang was writing about this and other writers were writing about it and then of course the reports that came out at the time of the murder and the, and the court case afterwards basically Bertle fox was massively insecure hugely insecure I think what Steve's referring to, and again, this is just from memory, is that he went down there to ask for money back that he'd given to them after the relationship's over, they have an argument, they're pushing him out the door, and he takes his gun out. But of course, as Steve quite properly says, you're taking a fucking gun to this, two women, the, the mum and the daughter, to argue about money. You're kind of putting yourself in a situation where that gun comes out of this trouble, and the the psychological stuff which i was talking about with Stephen and the pre-show it, it's it's kind of weird right because burtel for all his muscles was massively insecure and again this is rumor rep- reputation and the articles that were written at the time and one of the things i said to steve was think about it like this right i says at the weekend you're at a bodybuilding competition maybe you're guest posing maybe you're competing and people's response to burtel was so extreme." that he was one of the UK bodybuilders and it went over to America when the British continued to turn up for the Olympias and the as Steve talked about in in his competition list. And Bertel comes on stage and the audience starts screaming, beef, 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 in that sort of deep basso profundo kind of way that kind of vibrates through your chest. And that's what you're getting from the crowd. If you've got a two or 3,000 crowd people in the audience, and they're screaming fox or they're screaming beef, beef, beef every time you do a, a tricep pose or, or a most muscular. And then Monday to Friday, he worked for London Underground. I can't remember if he was a guard on the train, Steve, or, or the driver of the train. But he was just a Joe during the week. Now, that's a bit of a head fucking in and of itself. When at the weekend, you are, to bodybuilding fans, the next big thing, you are a... Then my god of muscle, you are a freak of nature. There you are standing in your posing trunks, so and people are going absolutely the whole fucking crowd is going crazy, and everybody thinks you're going to win the Miss Julie. But there you are, I mean in the Mr. Universe, the Junior Mr. Universe, this competition and that competition. And then Monday to Friday, you are no one. You are just a normal person with your tunic on, with your London Underground sweater on. You're a bit bulky. They even interviewed some of his workmates and he said, oh, he was just Burtle. He was just, you know, Bertle was a big guy, but he was just Burtle. That's it. So that, as far as they were concerned, he was just a big guy. And that's it. Now, that's a head fuck right there. And then Burtle Fox really, again, that's his rumored reputation, was massively insecure. He was one of those kind of people where he would take it out on those people around him if things didn't go well. Uh, you're also dealing, of course, as we know, with some people and I think Bertle's definitely one of those people that probably just didn't handle steroids very well, Steve. You and I both know that there are drugs that can upset your sleep. There are drugs that you can be on when it comes to PEDs that you kind of feel good. There's a lot of guys that are low testosterone or low affinity to testosterone, very low dose of TRT. They feel great. They feel like masters of the universe, the best salesman ever. I'm going to kick this ass. So I'm going to do that. And 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 for me, and I don't know about you, Steve, I just feel okay. I'm probably more moody, more argumentative, whatever, off, more likely to kick off such as it is, and the rarity that happens at my old age off steroids than on. So I probably do better on in terms of my mood and my demeanor and whatever else. I'm also probably more aware, because I'm on steroids, that you know, you can respond and react in a certain way. But other guys are not. You you and I know some young guys that have gone on steroids. And it's almost like they've got permission to be dickheads. I'm on gear so I can be a wanker. I'm on gear so I get roid rage. When there's no actual scientific condition known as that. But all strikes me, especially at that time, with the head stuff that I've mentioned already. As one of those guys, if things didn't go well, he got upset. If things didn't go well, he would have a go at people around him. If, you know, if, 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 if I was supposed to be here at this time, but didn't get there to so that time, that's the day brewing, that kind of person. So probably a bit of a pessimist in that particular way. And here we are with the situation that we're talking about when it comes to the murder. I bet it wasn't even that much money, Steve. I bet it's one of those situations where you go, do you know what, it's $500, fuck it. Walk the fuck away, because why the fuck am I taking a gun down to my ex-girlfriend, my ex fiances house, or salon, to argue with her and her mum over a few hundred dollars? And then end up with a death sentence fuck the money it's just no it's just crazy and as i said i think Bertle was just one of those guys that we really, to, to coin a phrase didn't handle his shit well and whether that was a result of his upbringing whether that's the result of being on peds whether that's a result as i say already of at the weekend the sun doesn't shut people can't you know your shit doesn't smell you are amazing there'll be people outside in the foyer of a theatre going, your physique is fake, right. your arms are the best I've ever seen, all that kind of stuff. And in Monday to Friday, you are working in a nine-to-five job, you're doing shift work, you're covering for a buddy, and you're up and down a metropolitan line in a London tube on the London Underground, and, and you're getting your £13,000 a year or whatever it is, he's getting paid. At the weekend, he's picking up 500 quid, for showing his biceps, and he's taking him two weeks to earn £500 working on the underground. It's a head fuck. It really is. If I, I said to Steve in the pre-show, I'm doing an event in two weeks' time, mentioned on the forums, where I'll probably be signing autographs. Uh, not that it's... It be very, very easy, Steve, if you're uh, enough of a narcissist to think you're something special because people want your autograph because they got it, they enjoyed the vibe at an event. And then... <laughs> Have an argument about how special you are, perhaps with the girlfriend or, 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 or people around you, because at one point people thought you were special, and then the next day you're just you're just a Joe. And it doesn't matter. It's 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 difficult. There's a lot of athletes, and you talked about this on other podcasts, Steve. A lot of athletes where this is you're not this is the one thing that you're not taught in all the coaching that you do to become, say, for example, a great Pro ball player, is how to handle your shit. And that's why so many guys go crazy and and ruin their money. That's why so many goes crazy and get on drugs. It's why so many don't know what to do with themselves when their career is over. And this is kind of what we're talking about. And is probably an extreme example of that, where the psyche of the athlete, and of course, in his particular case at this point, a retired athlete, a former Mr. Universe, someone who used to be strong, and already had those issues when he was strong, when he was Mr. The universe. Then carries off into the situation when you're retired. Uh, and 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 again, uh, don't don't if you're going to go argue with your ex, if you're going to go argue with your ex and a and a mum, don't take a gun with you. It's just kind of one of those you're asking for. A, 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 it's just going to go to shit in about five seconds flat. What you what you're taking a shooter for? Like Steve says, when. Your your ex fiance is a model, 140 pounds maybe, probably less. A mum even if she's a big woman, it's it's two women, and you are one of the world's strongest bodybuilders of your time, and you've taken a gun. It's just it's never going to end well, Steve. And in this particular case, two dead women and a death sentence. Uh, if you don't mind, Steve, I'll, jump, I'll I'll jump straight into that if that's okay with you.
0: Yeah. And let me just let me just, yeah, let, me just let, let everyone know what the charges were. Exactly. So he got charged with double murder and he got imprisoned without bail. A four day trial held a few months later led to Fox facing a possible sentence of
1: death by yes. hanging. So get into that for sure. Yeah. Right. So uh, where I worked in central London back in the day, living up in the valleys of Wales now, um, We have something in the United Kingdom called the Privy Council. And Bertle Fox's briefs, his his legal team, were amazing because he is a guy that should have hung. Uh, And and what Steve mentioned earlier on kind of helps him enormously. So St Kitts, as Steve said, was formerly part of the British Empire. And as such, most of the rules, the, the regulations, the legislation mimics it is modeled on the United kingdom's uh, laws and, and and everything else and as we've probably got still got a very strong uh, ambassadorial presence the consular presence out there um they, they, some countries I believe Jamaica for example the the police officers still walk around with bobby style helmets on and all that so that slightly up until recent years so a lot of the places that run under either French or Spanish or Portuguese or Steve said American or british most of their laws most of their legislation the way that they enact stuff is still modeled on the country that used to occupy them they might have independence now but there's so much of what's been left behind has been influenced by previously who who ran the country so he was incredibly lucky with his legal team he should have been hung and what they were able to do is they essentially you've got the court of human rights now or european uh, european court of human rights of course the united Kingdom left just a few years ago uh, the the, the European community but prior to that and even even with that on the table so to speak you could go to something called the Privy Council the Privy Council I believe is made up of politicians I think some of the highest uh, legal people in the country Uh, and and I believe actually might even come I think one of the princes of the royal family I'm not entirely sure and they don't meet that often and essentially what they said was because St Kitts modelled its laws on the same laws of the United Kingdom that had previously owned, and owned St Kitts under the British Empire, and because we don't have the death sentence in this country, how can he be hung? And so the Privy Council essentially said that's correct. If you're going to model your laws, your legislation, everything else that you do on what we do here in the UK and we don't hang people anymore, you cannot hang Bertil. And essentially, that's what saved him from the gallows, Steve. He was incredibly, incredibly lucky. And literally, it was probably one of the last rolls of the dice in terms of, do, do you say, do you know what? the, the some Kitts legislation, the, the, the laws, the government that runs their country out there, however it's run. could a term man said, listen, we've been long away from the United Kingdom. Why are we listening to this particular thing? If we've got independence, we've got independence. And we should be able to enact our rules and laws as we see fit as an independent country, but they didn't. They listened to the Privy Council. You said, if everything that else we do applies under the laws that used to be part of the UK, then we need to do the same thing with this because it opens up the floodgates in terms of uh, ignoring other rules and legislations and laws and whatever else. And of course, it's probably the most extreme law that you can have in terms of, you know, death sentence or no death sentence. As you know, Steve, I mean, the death sentence thing comes up in America constantly. Um, There's lots of dice rolls, so to speak, in terms of before people eventually get a death sentence in the United States, whether it's gas or with injection. And uh, there's a very good reason for that. And it's the same thing here in terms of making sure that all the other legal avenues are explored, et cetera, et cetera. So he was incredibly lucky uh, in that particular situation that his legal team were on point and they did exactly the right thing And stopped him getting hung. So, as far as me and Steve know, he's still in jail. I'm gonna regress, I'm gonna say late 60s, possibly early 70s in terms of his age, because he would have been older than me when I was following the sport back in 1980. Uh, I'm gonna say probably about 10 years older than me, so that would make him 67 as a minimum. And yeah, in jail, and and again, referencing the article here, uh, supposedly, um, rumor has it that basically, you know, living the dream in terms of what he used to be like. So I used to be a great bodybuilder. Yeah, he was born in
0: he was born in 1951, so he's 71 yeah.
1: as there of this uh,
0: podcast. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's still he's still in prison. And there's an article about it. So let me let me just first say, in Saint Kitts, there's only been three, um, it, three times where they've actually executed someone since 1983 when they gained their sovereignty from. From um, the UK and um, the last guy who got executed was in 2008 his name was Charles Laplace and he was hung for murdering his wife so and there was a big controversy behind that Um, a lot of countries in Europe including yours mobster uh, tried to step in and be like look I mean come on this is this is insane that you're hanging someone you would even give this guy a chance to appeal, you didn't know, give this guy uh, legal defense, and you're you're going ahead in hanging them. But you know what can you do? So if you look at the worldwide, what countries have the death penalty, which countries don't? It's definitely. definitely a regional thing. With Europe, pretty much all uh, yeah. do not have no, the death but... penalty, yeah. and in pretty much all of the Americas. Banning the death penalty, except for the US and several places in the Caribbean, such as St. Kitts, that still have it. So in the US, um, you know, you guys and Britain probably view the US really, really, you know, backwards and stuff. And a lot of that is true. Um, parts of the US are really, really behind the times. Um, but the reason and a lot of states still have the death penalty in the US even though it's not it's it's not really done very often is because they want to use it in court as kind of they want to dangle it and they want to make things easier um, for people to plead down their charges so you know you murder someone instead of saying yeah you're going to go to trial and face the death penalty let's plead it down to say life sentence without the possibility of parole will you take that deal? It won't clog up the courts. It'll be a hell of a lot easier on the families not to have to go through a a lengthy trial. And that kind of is, you know, it helps everybody, you know, in that situation. It's a win-win across the board. So that's one of the reasons why, but in some States like Texas, they love executing people. It's like, you know, they get off on it, you know? So it just depends on on what part of the, the country, your pal, body monster, I'm sure he he uh, he enjoys it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to jump in here, very soon. I mean, every so often, even here in the United Kingdom, it's a subject of debate, and it takes some crazy fucked up situation for it to become so. Where you go, okay, listen, um, I can think of a couple of individuals that are still in jail right now, Steve, and will never see, never see, come out of jail, never ever. There's one that's locked in a sort of perspex cage within a cage, like sort of Hannibal Lecter. Uh, who killed people when he was uh, allowed out on, on, to, uh, on the block, Not still in prison, and killed three people, him and um, him and someone else. And uh, it's just, it, this guy is, is probably never, ever going to be able to mix with anybody else, like, ever. Uh, so it's one of those kind of situations where, he, is he mental? Is it a sort of mental illness? Literally, that he can't be around other people. And the only people that is, you know, his food's pushed for a slot and it's, it's like something archaic. But then you also have constant stupid situations. It's one thing to have, uh, most murders rigs, as Steve knows, most murders are, you know, either accidental or, or fucked up emotional situations. And even Bertels could arguably put down to, you know, him not having his head screwed on, right, and then going down to have an argument with his ex fiancee and her mum. So it's an emotional situation. It's not necessarily that he planned to go and kill them. And so you cannot say, right, in that particular situation, Perhaps we shouldn't give them a death sentence, but where someone's deliberately gone out to kill people, when someone's gone on a rampage, and we've had that here in the UK, not often it has to be said, but enough times that these kind of things come up. And the same thing applies to other countries around the world. You go, is it something we should just do as a matter of course, which it should never be, after all you are taking someone else's life, or should we have just extreme situations where to put this person in prison they're never going to see daylight it's going to cost hundreds of thousands if not millions of pounds and millions of dollars and they're just plain good old-fashioned evil or pretty much every person's definition the argument is always going to be for and against it's always going to be right if we start killing people where do we stop and we might as well do it for this this and this and so on and so forth versus you know just allowing for these extreme examples if someone blows up an airliner and they killed 200 people as a terrorist. If someone takes a gun, and we've had this here in the UK, never mind what you just said recently out of the States, and, and takes, a, 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 for example, here in the United Kingdom, done and goes and kills school kids, and then kills neighbours, uh, kills his mum, and then kills taxi drivers, that particular person. Uh, we changed the laws with regards to gun ownership of the country as a result of that, but we didn't hang him. And it was one of those situations where we should have just hung him. He was crazy. He's gone on a rampage. He's killed everybody from his mum on downwards. He's gone to a school. He's shot teachers. Got shot kids. He's just an absolutely fucking crazy. It took four hours to bring under control. Uh, and you go right. let's just hanging. Let's not fuck about. The 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 two idiots that killed the young boy, uh, ten years of age, eleven years of age, killing a five year old. Uh, still doing stupid shit. Still fucking getting into trouble. Do um, you want to hang ten year olds? You see, it just it's really really difficult uh yeah. and i and think i know what you're talking is that
0: the story where they put a battery up the little kid's butt uh, oh that's yes. what they
1: said so they took him to
0: a railway line and they were, yeah, like, yeah yeah. i I, I saw that story yeah it's, it's crazy away, yeah.
1: one of the individuals has been done for um having kiddie porn on his computer and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it, they, it, it, they get it, fucked
0: up. Yeah, they're just fucked we've up. Had Probably, people yeah.
1: go to jail. We've had people go to jail for revealing in this country their real name because they they go under fake names now. And even um or saying where they've been seen in person and it's gone on the Facebook and they've been arrested and charged for putting that information out into the public domain because the 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 law's supposed to protect these two particular people. One specifically I say is an absolute computer not a prick versus the other guy that seems to have sort of got his act together and not, not, not got to prison and not fucked up since, but the other, the other fellow has. And in that particular case, you're just dealing with a truly evil individual who was probably the leader of the gang, so to speak, with the two of them back in the day. And they were uh, arguably on the cusp of what's called legal responsibility at their age. And they, were, they killed essentially a, a child that was half their age, four or five years of age. And So you've got those kind of situations then when you argue about it. In Burtle's case, as I say, without going too much down that particular rabbit hole, Burtle, for me, was an incredible bodybuilder who struggled with being arguably an incredible bodybuilder. And it could then we could get into specifically, as we will momentarily, his PED use. But he strikes me as perhaps someone with all the other issues he's got going on, with the mentality that he had, with the Psyche that I've dealt with in terms of being amazing at the weekends and just a joke during the week. And then potentially, arguably, someone who did not handle PED use very well to boot on top of that. But given that he probably retired, I was going to take a guess and say that he wasn't on performance-enhancing drugs when he committed the murder. I think we're really dealing ultimately with Bertle's psyche and how he saw himself in the world. Uh, versus whether he was a good responder or a bad responder. And as I say, you and I could debate, and I know you've done it on other shows, people that uh, act like idiots when they're on versus when they're off, and how some people you know, shine when they're on TRT, and how positive a hormone for a lot of guys uh, testosterone can be versus someone who doesn't handle the shit very well, and then essentially you're giving them a hormone. I mean, very quickly, Steve, before we talk about his particular use, Just this week, we had on the forum a a fellow talked about how he felt on cycle. And I said to him, it comes down to something like that. There's guys that struggle with sleep when they're on cycle. Um, And I said, look, any medication, any supplement, any drug that adds pounds of muscle to you, that makes you add 10, 15, 20% of the weights that you're using in the gym, has to come with side effects it has to and for some fellas it literally the side effect they struggle with as much as anything else is they don't know how they're supposed to feel when they've got two or three or four or sometimes more times the amount of testosterone flooded through their body that their body's used to I, mean, I think there's one example 30 or 40 times it's it, we use the analogy steve like you've put foot to the floor in a racing car if you're not used to driving fast, putting your foot to the floor in a racing car is going to be scary as fuck. It's 800 horsepower. The car weighs 300 kilograms. You're flying down the racing track. It's scary. You're just putting the brakes on. You're crashing into the barriers, etc., etc. For guys that are not used to 800 milligrams or 1,000 milligrams of testosterone in various forms and their bodies normally got the equivalent of 200 milligrams floating around you, have suddenly given them five times the amount of testosterone and it's like that foot flat to the floor and they don't like how it feels. They literally get anxious because they don't like how they feel. Now imagine you've got Bertals issues and now you've got this anxiety because you're going turbo because you're a beast in the gym when you're not used to it. You've got pounds of muscle going onto your body. You're sore all the time. And you've got five times, just in that example, five times of less testosterone flowing through your body and your psyche is kind of screwed up. Bertal to me falls into that. There's guys that, that handle this shit incredibly well. And they feel great on testosterone. Great on PEDs. That's what should happen. But Some blokes won't. Some f- users won't. Male or female. The, the, we, we've talked about female bodybuilder Steve. You're giving a female bodybuilder male hormones, you're giving her an excess of male hormones, and stuff happens. And some of it ain't pretty. So for some people, a lot of steroids, a lot of PDs is not good. And it, the anxiety, the sensation, sometimes you get used to it. But some of these guys, they have to come off. They literally have to come off cycle because they just can't handle how this feels. There's others. I think you and I probably fall into this category, Steve. We handle it quite well. The closest you've ever had is issues with training, And even then, it didn't fuck you up properly. It screwed with your cardio, but it didn't really mess with your head as such. And you recognized it for what it was, and backed off, and changed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, very quickly, Steve. Before we talk about it, just touch on that, just for yourself, as an example of how some people can handle it and not handle it, and and your own example particularly.
0: Um, I think I think when I first started using they uh, they hit me really hard. Uh, the androgens really hit me hard, and when it got to the point where I was using trend, um you know, trend is the relationship killer. So that those were the effects that I had with trend is every time I was in a relationship and I used trend, it ruined my relationship. So it didn't make me like this guy who went around trying to pick fights with people it make me, you know, into a murder. But it did affect me like psychologically, for sure. And, you know, the murder took place in 1997. And Fox, you know, he had a really long career. So you know, I have no doubt he was messing around with trend in the nineties and maybe yeah. even the late eighties uh, trend started coming around in the late eighties. You saw the, the physiques, some of the guys, you know, he was going up against like the Samir Benutes of the world, the Frank Zanes of the world. He wasn't going against guys who were on trend at that time, but once they get in the late eighties and then the nineties, for sure, then they started using tremble alone. So I think for his peak years, the steroids that he was messing around with, there were really four that he was messing around with. Decador Bolin, Prima Dianabol, and Provirin. Those were the four that they messed around with in the day. So we'll link an article which gives you a layout of one of the simple cycles he would have used back in the 70s, late 70s, mid-70s. And Decador Bolin, 800 milligrams per week. Primobolan, eight hundred milligrams per week. Uh, there's been rumors where Arnold has actually told people he used to use hundred milligrams of Primobolan per day. So that would yep. make sense. That that would get you that eight hundred milligrams per week of Primobolan. He probably went a you know a little bit higher to so got to get a lug up on his competition. <clears throat> Throwing the Diana ball in there gives you that androgenic kick to the cycle. Deca and Premo—they're not androgenic. They're very mild. So throwing in that dianable made them work even better. And he'd throw in the dianable here and there. If you throw in too much of it, you're going to get water weight. You're going to get bloated. So in his case, he wasn't throwing a lot of dianable. He was very smart about how he was using it. And then the provirin, you throw in the provirin in there. I don't think back then they really understood the science behind provirin. But we know that today, if you use provirin in a cycle, it binds to SHBG sex hormone binding globulin it binds very, very well. So it helps your whole cycle work even better. It helps with libido when you're using decadurabolin, it can um, throw off your dihydronandrolone and dihydrotestosterone ratio in your body. So by running the proviron 50 milligrams a day, maybe even hundred milligrams a day, why not? It wasn't expensive to get proviron in those days and they were getting the real stuff. So- you know, um, running the provirin balances your DHT and your D H uh, DHN in the body. So, you know, the science behind it wasn't well understood. A lot of guys today who are, you know, a mobster your age or older who are on social media blabbing, you know, blabbing their mouth like, like we are, they don't really know what the fuck they're talking about, unlike us. But they'll actually talk about Proviron. Oh, I used to use Proviron back in the 80s. We used to use Proviron, but they didn't really understand why the science behind why they use Proviron. And they didn't really understand it back in the 70s either. They just knew that it helped. Hey, it helps with our libido. It helps with our erections. It helps with the cycle being better. It helps us harden up. So hell yeah, we're going to use Proviron. And it was available. Pharmacy grade Proviron was available. Yes. And I'm sure yes. Bertel would uh, go when he would go to you know in Britain he would walk right into the pharmacy and grab it you know and then he would well, he you know, would have flock. had access
1: to far as you say imported we yep. were getting it from yep. France yep. I'm sure he would take areas. a boat
0: to to an island and because Saint Kitts I believe is two different islands uh, I'm sorry if I'm wrong on that uh, I'm sure, I'm not sure or you can confirm that but I think Saint Kitts. And it, it's St. Kitts and another island. So I'm sure I mean, one of yeah, those I mean, islands, I'm, I'm, sure I'm sure one of those nice. islands had a pharmacy that he could just walk into and grab her viral right off the shelf, even if he was he was there. But you know, regardless, those were the steroids that they would have used in the 70s. And then um I'll let you touch on that mobster and give us your thoughts. But let me finish gonna have before thoughts, I yeah. take us in, before I
1: take us into the uh, disclaimer, guys. Something that's very important here, and I think it does actually apply, bearing in mind what we've been talking about earlier on Uh And again, we do see this on the forums where guys will come on and they will say to us, I'm doing such and such a drug. And I, I feel really, sh-. I mean, again, trend is a good example. I feel really shit on trend. You go, listen, you shouldn't be using fucking trend without knowing it makes you feel really shit. But there are guys that can handle it. There are guys that love what it does to their physique. There are guys that love how they feel in the gym when they're on it. So you go, okay, here's the situation, all right? If Steve and I were advising you or anybody else for that matter and such and such a drug makes you feel bloated, but another one doesn't, or most people don't get bloated, but you do, or most people don't have problems getting to sleep but you do. You go back to the person that's advising, your coach, or guru, whatever else, and you say, listen, I'm using that thing that you told me. As far as I can work out, it's 100% legit. It's from a great source. Um, I've taken exactly the doses you said, and you know, I'm as fat as a fucking house, you know, my my fucking head's, my head feels like a balloon or whatever else, you know, I'm I'm holding more like a motherfucker. What's your AI? And you have this back and forth, you have this conversation, this is how it's supposed to work. I think with Bertolt, and as an example here, if his psyche is exactly as I said it was, then certain drugs, I would have as again as a guru you go right such and such a person can handle it it's perfectly fine they've got no problems with me whatsoever but Bertle's not that fella so we need to change it i mean a good example here steve which you've described is the the decker and the d-ball therefore for most people the decker and the d-ball never mind a primo and a bravari for most people the decker and the d-ball are feel good drugs uh and decker i've described as a great cycle for me before and decker's one of those ones that seem it doesn't fix your joints, guys. There's some argument about collagen synthesis in laboratory situations, but that's not what we're talking about when you're taking it to excess anyway. You've got the decadic situation in and of itself, but basically it will make your joints feel better. So if they're sore and you take deca and you're panning the weights, so you don't notice it as much until you come off and then you realise you've been giving them the information and the damage that before, you're just masking it. But for the most part, when you're on it, you feel better and it makes your joints feel better while you're on. And Debo, I think we've talked about, is almost, Steve, as a feel-good drug in and of itself. Because you, you you feel big, you feel strong. You don't have to take ridiculous amounts. You have to, of course, watch the side effects from an oral drug. So both of these, arguably, as a cycle for Bertolt, shouldn't have messed him up too much. But, for example, I, I wouldn't want Bertolt anywhere near trade with what I think as a guru, as an advisor, as a coach, whatever. Because I think he's a guy that's going to have problems with it. Uh, if, there's, if, if there is, and it really isn't, but if there is a thing such as roid rage, I would want to avoid certain drugs that would, for example, any of the drugs that mess with your hair tend to mess with other situations. There are drugs that just make you feel good old-fashioned irritable if that's you're wet that way inclined. and crime. And Bertle strikes me as a sort of person where I would I would take some drugs in. That I know other guys could handle incredibly well, and they would take them out for Berto because he doesn't. And it would literally be, well, how can I get Berto as full and as big as possible, which is exactly how he looks, Steve, as we know. Guys, check out his photographs, check out his physique, versus having a upset, a grumpy, a miserable, an irritable Berto because certain drugs were messing with his head, certain drugs were messing with his psyche. And, of course, as we talked about before, these are problems that probably pre-exist and then they become exaggerated. And that applies to any of you guys listening, male, female. I've got, got, how, how often do we see people coming onto the forum in this day and age, Steve, that are on anti-anxiety medication or they're on medication for depression? And we tell them quite clearly to tread very carefully when it comes to pretty much some guys, we actually just say to them, PDs are not for you. 100% PDs are not for you. But for the most part, low, low doses, or just try one drug at a time to see how you do with it. Go and speak properly to your doctor. And we talk about it that particular because if you're coming into this situation, training, how you perceive yourself when you're looking in the mirror, how you see yourself in terms of your strength, your relationship with yourself, and then you throw drugs into the mix and you've already got issues that pre-exist. You have to tread carefully in terms of your advice. You have to tread carefully in terms of how that person's going to respond. And ultimately, guys, you're still talking about mixing medications up. And too often, the guys are not going to the doctors and not going to the person that's giving them the antidepressant drugs, for example, and saying that I'm taking a feel-good drug like testosterone. And again, Bertolt Fox, in my opinion, struggled with his psyche struggled with his perception of himself. And I I, I can understand, certainly when he was active with his career, Steve, how easy that would be. Even if you're just a normal fella, and at the weekends, to coin a phrase, your shit doesn't smell. You are going on stage, and 4,000 people are screaming at your name. They are giving you money. They are giving you trophies. Photographers are taking your photograph, and then during the week, you're pushing a broom during a week, you're cleaning windows during a week, you're you're on a building site, you're just a working Joe during a week. The guys that you work with, the people that the, the colleagues at work, they just know you as the guy that works the coffee machine. Who the fuck are you? But at the weekend, 4,000 people streamed out your name and with Bertle's psyche, with his ungodly strip, with his ungodly physique, and then arguably PD use, and then. The situation that he ended up with it just strikes me steve it was a guy that you would be very very careful in terms of the PED use if he was advising him i wouldn't want anything in that system that makes him irritable i would want anything that's messing with his hair as you say some of the stronger drugs that affect the dhd anything like that that's messing with how he feels makes him sleep really badly moody i'd be careful again for example with the nutrition side of things again uh, it's, bodybuilders are notorious for getting more irritable on low carbs and those kind of situations again. And the, the, if, even again, Stephen, I've touched on this in previous shows where when you're on low carbs, your brain works on carbs, guys. Your brain works on glycogen. That's pretty much, I think it's blood, oxygen, and glycogen. That's kind of how your brain works. And how many guys have been on extreme low carb diets will tell you how messed up their thinking was. To the point where they couldn't drive straight or it was like being drunk or or, or they kind of sort of zone out uh, and again you're you're training like a beast you're doing all this kind of crazy stuff now throw that and a messed up psyche into the mix guys uh, it's it's a powerful combination and ultimately even though i would i'd argue that he's retired from the sport he's probably still training he might have still been using the peds when when he was in Kits, when he went back home so to speak and uh, and you're still dealing with a psyche, uh, any situation where you're taking a gun to go and talk to and ask for money from your ex-fiancé and her mum is is gonna end up messed up. It's, it's just, <laughs> if you don't have any of those issues and you're not taking performance on drugs, it's messed up. And then you do have issues and you do take performance on drugs, it's double messed up. And he's not the only person this has happened to. You've got very famous, uh, American uh, wrestler in a similar situation doing a bunch of drugs, not just performance enhancing, but a bunch of drugs with mental issues that ended up with crazy situations. Craig Titus that you and I have talked about in previous shows, talking about, uh, with regards to ecstasy and coke use and God knows what else—a uh, messed up situation. Uh, and again, you're talking about a guy that was headstrong, irritable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in Craig's case, so it's it's just it's just fucked up. Any final words, Steve, before we do this, gamer?
0: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, guys, you know, the lesson is, and he talks about this, they interviewed him while he was in prison, he said, look, I've never been in any trouble in my life, I never did anything, there's no history of violence, nothing, but he said he had one bad day, and the thing is, you know, before you feel sorry for him, you know, because it's easy to feel sorry for him out, he has to spend all the rest of his life in a shitty Caribbean prison, in the pictures of that prison, it looks like a fort, an old fort. It's he so probably – he got clothes hanging, you know. They don't even have washers and dryers probably in that prison that he uses. They have to hand wash their clothes. But before he first saw it from him, it was his own best friend. When I, um, when I looked up the story, that actually was the witness in the murder case. So his own best friend said, yes, he did it. So – You know, it's not like it was some random employee there who maybe didn't like him or was friends with his ex, you know, fiance or whatever, or friends with the mom. It was his own best friend that did it. So I have to be inclined to say that he made a really bad decision that day and he took the lives of of two women, which, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, I can make the argument hey, you let him back out of prison. Who's to say he's not going to go shoot someone else? you know, it's, it's so in his situation, it's just a shitty, shitty thing that happened. And one bad decision in one split second can, can have consequences the rest of your life. So oh yeah, I hope everybody, you know, thinks about that. And there's a lot of things that you can do that will ruin your life forever. So just before you let anger get to you, Before you say, yeah, I'm going to carry around a knife or I'm going to carry on a gun everywhere I go, I'm going to look for trouble, and I'm going to use it, just think twice about that, guys. It's not worth it. Sometimes you just have to walk away. I was actually in a situation like that um, a couple years back um, where I had a big dispute with someone, and I could have went to my car, grabbed the gun, went back to the guy, and just shot him. And um, but I just got on my car and I drove away as angry as I was. I got on my car and just drove away in him. And um, I'm glad I did, because if I went back and shot the guy, I'd be in prison right now. So is it is it worth it? No. So learn from his mistake and just don't, you know, just be smart, guys, in life. So take us to the scammer, buddy.
1: We're fortunate, Steve, that for most bodybuilders, these these are very, very rare situation the media makes a bigger deal out of it and obviously when we're talking about a podcast it's a great topic to be discussing but it's extremely rare we're not talking about this every time we do this podcast but keep it in mind guys great advice from Steve please note we're not doctors and the opinions of these shows are ours on our alone. it's our view based on our experience and views on the topic our podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only the freedom of speech and the first amendment applies